All right, here's my sermon. I want to talk about bullies. And we're going through 1 Samuel. Last week we started about Hannah. You remember Hannah couldn't have children and she has a sister wife. She has a, a competing rival wife that's married. They had the same husband. The, the other wife is Panina and she has 10 sons and Hannah doesn't, can't have any children. She prays to God and God grants her a son who is known as Samuel, this great prophet that 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel are, you know, written about his life. So, as I was reading this, I discovered there are three bullies that are talked about in the first two chapters of 1 Samuel. And so, I've never preached a sermon on bullies, but it is a major issue in the, in the country today. It has grown, let's see. A high percentage of teens have been bullied. It almost, I, I don't know how high it is, but it's, it's high. Instagram, I noticed that they rate the different sites. A lot of bullying, it used to be that you got bullied at school, but most bullying is occurring over the internet, social media. And I saw Instagram is way worse than Facebook when it comes to, and I'm not on Instagram, but for whatever reason, Instagram, people bully, call each other. I mean, it's like horrible what people are doing to each other on Instagram. 40% of adults have been bullied. High school girls are especially targeted. They often feel powerless to prevent it from happening. So we're gonna look at three bullies in the Bible. Two of them are men. Two of them are in ministry, they're assistant pastors, and one of them is a woman. So the two men are Hopni and Phinehas. They are the two sons of Eli. Eli's the high priest, and he decided to put his two sons into ministry, but the two sons are miserable bullies. And I'm gonna show you why these two boys that are assistant pastors, okay, why they are so bad. So chapter two, Starting in verse 12. And, and their names are Hopney and Phineas. So verse 12, Eli's sons were... Now, depending on what version you have, um, in, the, in the NIV, it has, they were scoundrels. Some of you may have wicked. If you have a King James version, you'll have Bilal. And so it says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. They didn't, or some versions have, they didn't know the Lord. So they're in ministry and they don't even know the Lord, okay? And that, and that they're scoundrels. Now the word for scoundrels in the Hebrew, in the original Hebrew, it literally says they're sons of Bilal. So if you have a King James version, it will not say they were scoundrels. It will not say they were wicked sons. It will say which is literally what the Hebrew is. They're sons of Balao. Now, Balao means wicked, horrible. It's also another name for Satan. So it's as if God is saying, these two guys in ministry, they're sons of the devil, and they don't know the Lord. That, so the original Hebrew, in Hebrew, it's Balao, 
And that's the same word that the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 warns about Christians dating non-Christians. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 16, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Balao? That's the same word that's used in the Old Testament about these two boys. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. So, these two boys are wicked scoundrels. They're like sons of the devil. Verse 13. Now, it was the practice of the priest, these two young guys, that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice... The priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled. The sacrifices, of course, always represented Jesus Christ. So they bring a three-pronged fork with his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan, the kettle, the cauldron, or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. So this, this was not allowed. This was a disgrace. This was ridiculous that they, that sacrifice was a picture of Jesus Christ, the lamb being sacrificed. And it's interesting that these priests came with a three-pronged fork and would put it in on the lamb and pull it out, whatever meat they got. I think about the cross, and I think about how Satan, with a three-pronged fork, put a nail in this hand, a nail in that hand, and a nail through the feet. And it was like, you know, it was just like Satan, like not even realizing the sons of Satan with a three-pronged fork, diving it in. And that's why you'll notice it says in verse 17, the sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. By putting that three-pronged fork, God was like, whoa, yeah, that's exactly what Satan is going to do to the Son of God. You are treating with contempt. Number two, verse 15. But even before the fat was burned, the priest servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. They actually want some good steak before you even sacrifice it. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person, verse 16, if the person said to him, hey, oh, you know, I, I brought this sacrifice. Let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want. The servant would answer, the priest, these two sons, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'm going to beat your face in. Okay, do you see that? They, they got violent. You give me that steak. 
or we're going to take it from you. That's a bully, okay? So there's, there's number two. Now come to, so this isn't, so they're bullies. You give us the best meat or we're going to punch you out. They're disgracing the offering that's supposed to be totally given to the Lord by, you know, taking from it to begin with. But to make it even worse, they're sleeping around with the church staff. So verse 22. Now Eli, who was very old, this is the dad, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So this was the, the, the assistant women helping out in ministry. And these two young men were like taking advantage. It's, it's amazing for whatever reason, pastors can take advantage of susceptible women who think, oh, this is so spiritually wonderful that I'm with a pastor. Some, I, I saw a book, there's a book out, Fallen Pastor, Finding Restoration in a Broken World. And Ray Carroll shows that 33% of pastors have crossed the line with a woman, not their spouse, but have not been caught. This doesn't include all the pastors that have been caught doing it, okay? So in other words, there's a huge group of ministers. You know, sometimes people, I'm like, look, women, I am not interested. First of all, I'm getting too old, and I'm going to stand before Jesus soon. <laughs> but I, my wife and I, great marriage. But you understand, why would I want to place myself in the lineage of Hopney and Phineas sleeping around women in the church? You think I want to follow in that, their footsteps in doing this? Are you crazy? Do you know what God's going to do to these two guys? So, Eli, so verse 23. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. So I, I'm going to share some, a principle with you. Why this is, why these two sons are making a very, very bad mistake. So let's suppose that Earl and Margie, I'll pick on them. Yeah. Let's suppose Earl and Margie get into a fight. I'm sure it would never happen. But let's say they're fighting over something. Maybe Earl hurt Margie's feelings or whatever. They could turn to Jesus to be the mediator. Jesus is a mediator. So Jesus would come and say to Earl and Margie, hey, you need to confess and forgive each other. And Jesus works out a peace arrangement. He's a mediator. He's a counselor. So he'll help them. Jesus will help all of our marriages, our, our relationships. He loves to mediate and, and help out. You with me? But what happens if you get into a fight and offend Jesus himself. Who mediates when the other person that you've offended is Jesus? 
There is no mediator. So that's why I always say to lay people, yeah, I get it. You can, you can do things that are wrong. You can sleep around, all right? I'm not saying you should, but you can sleep around, and Jesus will mediate and work in that situation. But when you sleep with someone in the church, you're offending Jesus Christ himself. Who is there to mediate for that sin? So look what Eli says. Verse 25. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? That's why the sins in the church are so much greater for any minister. Because you're directly offending the Lord. Who intercedes in that situation? And so... Come over to verse chapter 3, verse 11. So the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God. Wow. I think of the unpardonable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. They blasphemed God and he failed. The dad failed to restrain them. The dad, you know, I cannot tell you how many ministers in big, usually they're in big mega churches that are independent. Usually the, the, the founding pastor knows he's getting older and often will turn over his ministry to his son or sons. But in many cases, that dad knows he shouldn't be turning his church or that church over to his son because he already knows that his son has not put Jesus Christ first in his life. That he's making a mistake doing that. When it comes to the church, it does, I, you know, I have six children. I'm like, oh, you know, when it comes to the church, a minister always has to put Jesus Christ first. Even at the expense, even if his kids want that church or want a pastor, if the, if the father knows they're not ready, they, they aren't putting Jesus Christ, you, that father should not be putting his son in to be the next minister. So God, let me just tell you that God brings to death Eli and his two sons for what they have done. So let's come and look at a definition of who is a bully. Since I will claim to you, Hopney and Phineas are two bullies. Number one, they have anger issues. That's Hopney and Phineas. You give us that meat. You get out of our way. We want steak. They are an annoyance at others. I could just see them being annoyed at people, annoyed doing ministry, because they, they have no spiritual interest in God. They have lack of empathy for others. Bullies cannot connect, relate to others. They don't, it's, it's all about them. They have no respect for authority. I'm not listening to God. I'm not listening to his word. 
I'm not listening to my parents. I'm not listening to the principal at the school or the college. No respect for authority. They view violence as a good thing. That's how you get things. You beat, you, you, you beat up on people. You, you take it from them. That's those two boys. I, by the way, I got this definition all from the, you know, from online, and I was like, wow, that's, the, that's Hopney and Phineas. They make fun of others. They lack the ability to feel guilty. They don't feel guilty for what they've done. Eli kind of warns his sons. He should have thrown them right out of ministry. He should have said, you guys, you can't be in ministry. You're out of here. He warns them, but he doesn't do anything, and they don't feel guilty whatsoever. Dad, we don't feel bad one bit. How are bullies created? Well, the experts tell us there are three ways that bullies are created. One way is that the parents are extremely permissive in the behavior of their children. They're over lenient. The parents don't set limits. And the parents wind up practicing no discipline for their children. Well, that's Eli. He was too lenient with his two young sons. He, he's like, I, I know they're doing wrong, but I don't have any rules. I'm not going to... I, you know, I verbally warn them, but there's no consequences. He doesn't remove them. He doesn't discipline. He doesn't, he just, so that's how some bullies are created. Number two, sometimes the parent is a bully. And unfortunately, I've, I've met people like this. It's so funny. I, I don't, it's sad. The parents are bullies, and they've, they've lived through life being a bully, and they are training their kids you want to be a bully too. Of course, they wouldn't say that, but that's, you know, that's what they do. Kid comes home from school, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I wanted Susie's lunch and, and she won't give it to me, dad. And, and the dad says, look, you got to learn, son. You take what you want. You know, you get there. And I tell you what, the teacher says anything to you about it, you get me and I'll put that teacher in their spot. And the, so the parents like, this is a good thing. And I'm gonna, and then the third one is that instead of blaming, I read something that, you know, a lot of people blame their parents for how they've turned out and why they are what they are. But I read this book psychologically, okay, we'll let you do that until you're 25. 25, blame dad, mom. But at some point, you can't use that excuse anymore. You've chosen for yourself now. So you can't say, well, I'm mean because my dad was mean. No, no, that, you, we let you get away with that when you were 19, 20. You're mean because you've decided to be mean. You're a bully because you decided to be a bully, not because of how you were raised or anything else. It's just a decision you have made. Romans 12, yeah, I'm going to skip this, because I want to come, let's come to Hopney and Phineas. Oh, yeah, I guess maybe I should show you this verse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, so if you're, 
If the bully wants your lunch, hey, here you go. I didn't know you were hungry. No problem. Oh, you need my homework? Okay, yeah. Here, let me... I know. I'm... If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But what I want you to understand if you're dealing with a bully in your life is leave room for God's revenge. God says, I'll take care of it. I'm patient, but I will take revenge for you. I'll deal with this bully. So I want to talk about our third bully, which is Panina. So come back to chapter one. This is the, remember, this is the second wife of Elkanah, who's having 10 sons. She has children. Hannah has none. Verse six of chapter one, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, that's Panina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. She's a bully. This is a woman bully. She loved, ah, Hannah, you loser. You're, you're half, you know, you're not even a woman. I, I, I don't know what you are. And we also believe that as Panina was raising her 10 sons, that she probably made them bullies too. Like they're all making fun of Hannah as the 10 sons are growing older. And verse 7, this wasn't a one-time thing. Verse 7, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. So she's a bully. She's mean. She's, you know, and, and we, we think she has the 10 sons because Elkanah says in verse, you know, eight, am I not worth more than 10 sons? And as you know, then the Lord allows Hannah to get pregnant and have a boy named Samuel. And then chapter 2, Hannah has this song, and it is a prophetic song. So it talks about not only then, as Hannah gets the song, but it talks about into the future. So, so look at, let's look at this song again. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn, my strength is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. Well, who are the enemies that Hannah is singing about? That her mouth is boasting over her enemies. It is Panina and her sons that have been, you know, bullying and knocking down Hannah. Verse 2, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Verse 3, do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. Who is Hannah singing about when she says... Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. She's talking about Panina and the sons. 
Stop talking so proudly when you're going, I have 10 sons and you have no, and you're a loser and, you know, I'm going to provoke. And so there's a warning to all bullies. Stop talking so proudly, being so arrogant. Verse 4, the bows of the warriors are broken. That's why we think it's Panina and her sons, because it's always plural. So the bows of the warriors are their spiritual bows that they're pulling back the arrows of, you're a loser, Hannah. And the sons are, yeah, you're a horrible wife. And, you're, and they're shooting arrows of meanness into Hannah. But now Hannah goes, your bows are all broken. You can't shoot those fiery darts at me, right? But those who stumbled, that's Hannah, are armed with strength. Those who were full, so Panina used to have plenty of food because she had 10 sons who were working, bringing her food. Now they have to hire themselves out for food. But those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren, that's Hannah. She's the one that's barren and had, could not have kids. Prophetically, she now sings, sings, I've born seven children. He who was barren, so she's prophesying, I am going to, the Lord has revealed to me, I'm going to have seven children children. Chapter 2, we're going to come back, but look at chapter 2, verse 21. Chapter 2, verse 21. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. That's not including Samuel. So by chapter 2, she's already got six children of the seven that the Lord says she's going to have. Okay? So back to the song. So she who was barren, prophetically, I'm going to wind up with seven children. But she who had many sons, the ten sons, is going to pine away. Now, that either means the sons are going to die off, or she is going to be so sick that she sickly goes off. There is a, an old book from the Old Testament times. It's called The Legend of the Jews, chapter 4, verse 9. This is not in Scripture. This is a legend that the Jews say about Hannah and Penina. Hannah was spared to witness not only the greatness of her son, Samuel, but also the undoing of her rival. Every time Hannah bore a child, Penina lost two of hers until eight of her ten children had died. And she would have had to surrender all had not Hannah interceded with her with prayer. Do not take revenge, my brothers and sisters. Leave room for God's wrath. It is for him to take vengeance. Psalm 7, 14 to 16. Whoever, this is any time 
you are planning to do wrong towards someone else. You're planning to hurt someone. You're planning to steal, take something. Anytime you're planning, it says here, whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. What you thought by being mean and rotten and stealing and whatever it is, you thought it was going to turn out to be good, but it's going to cause disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. So whatever you plan for others, there's a TV show called Leverage. I don't know if you've ever seen Leverage, but I like it because what happens is there's this vigilante group, we'll call it, whatever. Someone will come and they've been hurt by someone else in some way. And Leverage always winds up doing the same thing to the person that hurt their client. And, and you love it, like, ah, revenge is so sweet. It's always, you know. But that's kind of here what the Lord is saying. I'll give you a, another example. You remember the story in Esther? Um, Mordecai, uh, there was a guy named Haman, and he hated Mordecai. He was Jewish, even though Mordecai helped the king and was the uncle of Esther. And so Haman um, erects a huge gallows pole to impale Mordecai on it in his backyard. And so we read, just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, Hey, there's a pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits, about 70 feet high, that at Haman's house, he had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke out to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. So, I, I got to quit. I was going to give you more examples. But I think you get the picture, right? You get the picture. So, let's have the worship team.